1: are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He says, look, the prophets were writing about this moment, writing about this time, this age, when all of these things would be happening, and they longed to see this, but you are the lucky ones. You're witnesses to this. You get to experience this intimately with me, so you're blessed, you're blessed he says, now, look at this. He's gonna explain now this parable. Remember, I said there were three elements we need to define. Who's the sower? What is the seed? And what is the soil? Jesus is gonna tell us what it is here, verse 18. Hear then the parable, this story of the sower. When anyone hears the word, Of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So, the first kind of soil is that hardened ground. Now, the path, if you want to put it in perspective for those of you who are from the valley, right, it would be like the canal bank. Okay, you're not going to sow seeds. On the canal bank, why? Because the canal bank is hard, it's callous, it's been compacted. You're supposed to be able to walk over that and drive over that. It's not a place to plant, okay? And so here we see the sower is the one who's preaching. The seed is the word of God and the soil is the heart that is prepared or not to receive it. So in this first case, the first kind of soil was that path or the canal bank and it wasn't ready for the seed because the heart was too hard. There was no place for the seed to take root because of the hardness of that heart. Again, there are four kinds of hearts in the room today. As we read through these, I want you to ask yourself, who am I in this story? Okay, so the first one's there. There's the hardened heart. Look at he goes on, he says this in the next verse, Uh, He says, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately he receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then tribulation of persecution arises on the account of the word and immediately he falls away. So the second kind of soil is a rocky soil. And the seed might start out just a little little bit of seed, maybe takes a little bit of root, but because there's no depth, because this is a shallow soil, because this is a shallow soil, heart, this is a shallow walk with God, there's no place for the seed to bloom, and eventually when persecution comes, or trials come, or issues come in life, those people, it says, literally there, it means to take offense, I'm offended, that's what it means to fall away, I'm offended at this trial, and so they give up that walk, okay, there's a shallow, this is why we spend so much time here at Christ Community Church trying to get you to engage in your spiritual walk, This is why we want you to get involved in a life group. This is why we want you to engage in some sort of a discipleship class or freedom in Christ class or to maybe come to a foundations class sometime. We want you to go through these layers of depth where you can make sure that your soil is ready to receive the word, right? So really whose fault is it if our hearts are shallow? It's our own fault. We need to be tilling the ground of our own hearts from time to time. I can only do so much as I scatter this seed. It's your responsibility to prepare that heart, to prepare that soil. Does that make sense? Look at the third kind of soil here, verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, they come in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So the third kind of soil here is the one that is distracted. It's the one that is being choked out by the cares of life. And when it's speaking of the cares of life there, it's not speaking specifically of sin right? And oftentimes we think of that, well, that must be sin. Well, no, that's anything that distracts you from what God wants to do in your life. To be honest, there's many of us in this room that have maybe made bad examples or left bad examples for our children when it comes to placing our spiritual walk in our relationship with Christ at the forefront of our lives. Why? Because we communicate something different to them. Maybe we, we, in our minds, think that, yes, it's important that they are solid and that their walk with Christ is really solid. But you know what? What do we communicate is more important. Have you done your grades? Or have you done your homework? What are your grades like? Are you in enough extracurricular activities? What kind of college are you gonna get into? What kind of job are you going to get? And this is what we're communicating over and over and over again is what's important to us. And we're not saying, hey, have you read your word? Hey, have you spent time in God's presence? Have you enjoyed fellowship lately? Has God been speaking into your life, right? We have to set the tone as parents for that. That's where that originates from. But again, we're choking out the lives of the people that we love because we're not communicating to them what's important, what the priorities really should be. So I wonder where we're at in this case. But that person the cares of this life, they come in and they choke out the fruitfulness. Again, cares of this life for you and for me. It can be our jobs, our careers. It could be our education, It could be our finances. It could be our hobbies. All of these things, if they aren't in their proper place, will choke out the fruitfulness of the seed. All right, look at the fourth seed here. Verse 23, as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands the word. Again, I have an intimate understanding of this. It takes root in my heart. There's a a softness, a pliability in my heart. My heart is ready for this. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. So which soil are you today? Right, Which soil are we today? This is why Jesus spoke in parables. And the reason why this parable is the key to all of the other parables because it tells us whether or not we're ready to go on to the next ones if we can really truly say that our heart is that fertile soil, that soft soil, the soil that's ready to receive the seed. If you feel like you're the pathway soil, then you need to figure that out first. If you feel like you're the soil that is the cares of this life are choking out the fruitfulness, you need to figure that out first. If you're the kind of soil that is shallow and has no depth in your walk with Christ, you need to figure that out first before you move on to the next one. Are you with me? So we see the purpose of the parables. Jesus very very clearly gives us that. If you're taking notes, either in person or at home, I want you to read on to the next point. Next, we're gonna see the power in parables, the power in parables. In John chapter 6, let me just paraphrase this for you for the sake of time. I'd encourage you to go and read this on your own. But in John chapter 6, Jesus has just fed thousands of people and people again are starting to crowd around him because they want more food. Like, hey, that was a cool trick, Jesus. Do it again, feed us. And they come to him and they're hinting and they say, you know, there was another prophet that we know pretty well. His name was Moses. And he gave us bread from heaven to eat. Maybe you wanna do something like that, Jesus, right? This is what they're insinuating. And Jesus says, listen, you're misunderstanding that sign. It wasn't really Moses who gave you that bread. It was my father in heaven who gave you that bread. And now he sent me to be that bread for you. I'm the bread from heaven. And the people are like, this is not making much sense. And Jesus takes it a step further even. And he says this, listen, unless you eat of my bread, Body, my flesh, which is the bread, and unless you drink of my blood, then you have no life. And now the people are, like, really disgusted, right? Like, what kind of horror film is this? I want no part with this. And the scripture says that there are many of those people who were following him at that point that began to turn away. Why? Because their perspective was wrong. The power in parables begins with our perspective. You see, Jesus wasn't trying to address them physically. He wasn't saying, Eat my take here, take a bite out of my forearm and you'll live forever. That's not what he was saying. Right? He was pointing to the cross. He was pointing to the body broken and the blood that was spilled. He was trying to give them some sort of spiritual truth, but the lens through which they were listening to this, they were listening through this fleshly, worldly lens, not through a spiritual lens. They didn't have a spiritual perspective. So the power in these parables is going to come when we have a spiritual perspective when we read them. And now for the sake of time, we got to just kind of popcorn some of these. And in your outline, you have some verses. And, and I want you guys to go and to read these. I'll kind of paraphrase them as we go along. But what Jesus does throughout many of these parables is he paints this really stark contrast between two kinds of people, all right? You have two kinds of people in these stories. And what Jesus is challenging us to do is to put ourselves in the story. And the second point here, the power in parables is in introspection. We ask ourselves in the midst of these stories, who am I in this story? Just like I said, okay, which kind of soil are you? When we look at these parables briefly, I want you to ask yourself, when we read these stories, you put yourself in this story and you ask yourself, okay, who am I in this story? Which one of these people am I? Because it's just one or the other. It's just white and black, light and dark, good and evil, right? There's only those choices. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area here in Jesus' mind. So first off, if you're taking notes, let's look at the story, the parable of the two builders, Pastor Walter spoke about this briefly last week. This is a parable that teaches about obedience. And there's a wise builder who hears the sayings of Jesus and does them. That guy is like the guy who built his house on a firm foundation. And when those trials in life came and the rains fell and the floods rose and the winds blew and beat on the house, the house stood strong because it was built on the foundation that was the obedience to the word of God. But there's a second person, a second builder in this story. And that builder is the one who hears the word of God but does not do it. And Jesus says that person is a foolish builder. And he builds his house on the sand. There's no depth, there's no strength of earth there. And so when those same trials of life come in the forms of a storm of rain and rising floods and beating winds, that house falls, and great is its fall. Its fall was so severe that it wasn't going to be put back together again, not on that foundation. Right, And so there's this story, and Jesus forces us into this place where we have to choose. We have to decide, who am I in this story? Am I the wise builder, or am I the foolish builder? Next, we'll look at a story of two sons. Matthew chapter 21. You can check this out later. Again, this is an issue of obedience. This is teaching on obedience. And these two sons are approached by their father, and their father says, listen, I need you to go out and to work my vineyard. And he says to the first son, go out and work the vineyard, son, And the son says, you know what? I'm not in the mood today, dad. I'm not going to do that. You got to find somebody else. And the second son is approached, right, by his father. And he says to his son, son, you know, your brother won't go out and work the field for me. Will you go out and work the field for me? And the, the son says, sure, no problem, dad. I've got you. But when the father leaves, the first son has remorse in his heart. He repents and he feels bad that he didn't do what the father had asked. And he gets up and he goes out and he works the vineyard. But the second son... As soon as the father's gone, after he had told the father what the father wanted to hear, ignored the father and didn't do it. And Jesus asked the religious leaders, who do you think did the will of the father? Who was the one who was obedient? And they said, well, the first son, the son that actually went out and worked the field. And he said, exactly. And you know what? There are tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes who are gonna get to the kingdom of heaven before you because they did what the father asked and you ignored it. It's like, boom, mind blown. And it forces you into this lane where you have to decide, who am I? Which son in this case am I? Right? Am I the one who says what the father wants to hear but doesn't do it? Or am I the one who has remorse when I ignore the voice of God in my life, but I repent and I end up following after the father's will. Who am I in this case? Let's look at the next one briefly that we'll check out. There's two servants that are spoken of in Matthew chapter 24. Again, there's a wise servant and there's a foolish servant. And the master goes away to a far country and he leaves his servants in charge. And he says, I need you to feed the rest of the servants while I'm gone. And there's the wise servant who is busy about the master's work. And when the master comes back, he finds that the rest of the servants have been well fed. And that servant is going to be honored. But there's the foolish or wicked servant who as soon as the master leaves, figures, you know what, it's gonna be a while before my master comes back and he treats the people around him poorly and he's not busy about the Lord's work. And the scripture says this, that when the master returns and he finds that wicked servant, he'll be punished. I wonder when we're being forced into this lane to decide which one are you. Are you the wise servant busy about the Lord's work or are you the foolish servant that is wasting time thinking that it's gonna be a while yet before the Lord returns. How about the next one? Story of two brothers. This is in Luke chapter 15, and you can read the story of the prodigal son there later, but there's two responses to forgiveness in this story, right? There's the one son who, he spends his father's inheritance, he's wallowing in the mud with the pigs, and he remembers how good it was in his father's house, and he says, I need to go back and I need to ask for forgiveness from my father. I'm not even asked to be taken back into the home. I just want to be one of his servants because his servants have a better life than I do at this point. And so he goes to his father. The father greets him, loves on him, kisses his cheek, gives him the robe, puts the sandals on his feet, the ring on his finger, says, kill the fatted calf. We need to have a party because here my son that was lost has been found. Here my son who is dead is alive once more. But there's the second of these two, the brother that was off in the distance and he hears the commotion and he hears the merrymaking and he says, what's going on back home? And one of the other servants tells the son, well, you know what? Your brother who was lost has come back and your father was so excited. He killed the fatted calf and we're having a great party celebrating the fact that your brother has returned. And the scripture says that that brother despised what was going on in his heart. And he said to his dad, I obeyed you all these years and you never killed the fatted calf for me and my friends to have a party, what's going on with that, right? Which one of these two people are you? Which son are you? Are you the one that would return in repentance into the father's presence to say, Lord, please, I have no excuse. I really, I'm not worthy of really even being here and invited into your home, but will you take me back anyway? Or are you the one who stands with his arms crossed thinking that you're better than the rest? that you don't need forgiveness, and that you don't need the Father's love. Which one are you? Right? Jesus forces us into these lanes to make these decisions. So there's two debtors. You can read of this in Luke chapter 7. A woman who comes and pours out her tears and her oil on Jesus' feet and it produces this parable in Jesus and he asks Simon who house this gathering was in and he says, listen, there are two people. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50 denarii to the same man. And that man forgave both of their debts. Who do you think loved that man more? And Simon, the, who the Pharisee who had this gathering says, well, I guess it would be the man who was forgiven more. And Jesus said, exactly. And his point was being this, that those sinners who understand their need for forgiveness that understand their need to be forgiven are going to love the Lord more. Who are you in this story? Are you the one who knows that you need to be forgiven? Are you the one who knows that you need to be cleansed? Read in Matthew chapter 18. You can read, we kind of touched on that a couple weeks ago, but just for the sake of time, go and read there about the two debtors. Read in Luke chapter 18 about the two worshipers and the way that they worship differently. Read about the two neighbors in Luke chapter 16. All of these, there's a contrast, but we're forced into this lane and we have to decide which person are we in this story. It should challenge us to change something in our hearts if we find we are lacking in contrast with these stories. Are you with me? This is why these parables are so powerful. We have to look at them through a spiritual lens, spiritual perspective, but then we also have to use introspection and look deep into our hearts and say, who am I in this story? Now, this brings us to our last point for the day, which is the personal, the idea of the personal parable. I love the fact that the apostle Paul was so frank with where he was at with the Lord. So frank with where he was at with the Lord. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. And you can just listen, I'll just read it to you. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though I formerly was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost... But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, listen, My story is a parable in and of itself. I used to be a sinner. I used to persecute the church of God. I was a a prideful, arrogant man. That's who I used to be, but God changed me. And now me, this man who I consider myself the chief of sinners, now God has saved me so that I could be an example to other people of what God's grace can do in someone's life. I had this long thing prepared about my personal testament i'm gonna have to like do it in like two or three minutes so buckle up i didn't come to know christ until the summer after my senior year of high school and i thought i was a pretty moral person but uh you know the issue with my morality is i was deciding what was moral and what wasn't moral i was a pretty arrogant young man i get i got to decide what was right and what was wrong Right. And through the course of my time in high school, I didn't know the Lord. I actually resisted the Lord. I actually pushed away from the Lord. But my senior year in high school, my parents split up. They divorced. And in the course of one day, I went from living in the house that we grew up in into an apartment with my mom, and it really just destroyed a lot of things in my life. I was confused. And there was a change that happened in my mom and my sister when they started going to church, and it made me curious. And I thought, why are they having that kind of peace And why do they have some sense of joy, but I have none. And so I followed them just to check out what was going on. And within three Sundays there, this hardened heart, calloused heart had been broken. And I raised my hand and I said, I need Jesus as my savior. And I walked up to the front of the church as an 18-year-old young man saying, I haven't had this figured out and I need help. And that day, my life changed. I started doing things, just seeking after the things of the Lord like never before. And God did an amazing work in my life. And you know, through the course of my younger days, like something happened on that day that you can't explain aside from the work of the Holy Spirit. My time was consumed with Bible studies and prayer meetings and Bible classes, right? I was teaching the little kids, second and third graders, what the Bible said, and I was getting it wrong most of the time and being corrected, but I was doing it anyway right? I started teaching junior high classes and just the Lord was started to do a work in my life and everything seemed like it had been put together pretty well until a week before I was to get married to Sarah and through the course of our premarital counseling I had to confess to her all of the sin in my life those things that I wasn't proud of and the fact that I hadn't waited for sex until marriage and a week before we were to get married she asked me to go get tested for sexually transmitted diseases. And I thought that was the end of me, right? I remember after that discussion with her, I went up, we had a condo that we had purchased. We weren't living together, but I was, I was in the condo until we were going to get married. And I went up and I just vomited until I couldn't vomit anymore in front of the, in the bathroom. It was, I was so physically sick. And I looked down at my vomit. Sorry that this is graphic. I looked down at my vomit in the toilet, and I looked and I said, That's what my sin has done to me. That's what my sin looks like before the Lord. This is where my life has brought me. And for a moment, I thought, I don't know if I'll ever be clean, if I can ever be cleansed. And I sat there for a while feeling sorry for myself, and then I reached up and I flushed the toilet. And maybe this hasn't happened to any of you before, but it happened for me. The Lord spoke to me when I flushed the toilet. (laughs) You're never going to flush the toilet again in your entire life, right? I flushed the toilet, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you see that? That's what I've done with your sin. It's flushed down the drain. It's never going to haunt you again, never to come back again. And I knew in that moment that no matter what happened, what happened with the test or what happened with the marriage, that the Lord loved me unconditionally and I was cleansed and I was clean. And the person that I used to be didn't live anymore, that I had been made new and I could live in that newness. And here's the fact of the matter is we recite this first. I'm a new creation. We know these things from the inside out, but here's the deal. So often we don't live like we're new. But when we live like we're new, We're like Paul, we're like every other one of those parables where the Lord says, I wanna take you and your story and all of your pain and all of your regret and all of your fears and all of your insecurities and all of your failures and I wanna take those and I wanna highlight those because I want people to see what happens and how a person can be changed when the spirit of God enters into their hearts. And here's what I want you to understand this morning is that the Bible might be filled with parables and Jesus might've taught with parable after parable after parable, but the most powerful parable of them all is your life. When there's a contrast in you and you can stand and you can say, this is the person that I used to be, but look at the person that I am now.